the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers, and he moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. So last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son... They said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? Well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. For the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces but anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Well, we're in a series called One Week to Live. What would you do? What would you do with your life if you knew you had one week to live? That'd be a pretty audacious question, isn't it? You got one week to live. How would you spend your time? Well, today is going to be called Super Tuesday, and those were two of the events that Jesus taught on on that last Tuesday. We started with Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, the last Sunday of Jesus' earthly life. Jonathan last week, did Jonathan knock it out of the park last week or what? Super sermon, super job. And that was, that was on Monday. So today, it's a little different couple of texts that we're going to talk about. First thing I want you to do, stand up with me. Yeah, today, this morning, stand up. All right, so stand up, and I want you to look at me and say reality. reality. Say facing reality. facing reality. 
Now turn to somebody around you and say, you need to face reality. Sorry. I need to face reality. They did it to me. All right, be seated. Be seated. So I have a friend of mine from high school, Billy. Billy just got married for the fifth time. True story. Absolutely true story. And already in the last two months, the word on the street is, this one's not going to work either. Okay? So do you think Billy needs to... What do you think? Okay? So let's say that you're in business, and in your area of business, all the businesses in your area are making money. They're all doing well. They've done well. But your business hasn't, isn't, and probably won't do well. What do you need to do? Maybe face some reality and ask some hard questions, right? Let's say that you really like chemistry and you want to be a chemist or a chemistry major or a pharmacist, but you're not really good at the sciences. You're really good as a mechanic or you can cook and you can do a lot of great things, but you want to have a chemistry degree. What would you might want to tell that person? Maybe to face reality about that, right? It might not be a good idea. You may kill somebody with a chemistry uh, degree like that. It's so hard for us to face reality. It's so hard for us to be honest about our strengths, our weaknesses, what we're good at, what we really want, what God wants us to do. I think it's incredibly hard sometimes to be honest about ourselves morally honest about ourselves ethically. It's just hard for us. Why do I work so hard to live a pain-free life? Why do I work so hard to insulate myself from the truth and from the reality that's around me? Jesus never let people off the hook. Jesus made people very, very uncomfortable from time to time. Now, when you look at this, these stories throughout the Scriptures, you're wondering, how did they miss this? I mean, did they face reality about who the Messiah really was? Jesus healed the sick. He raised the dead. Lazarus was a great example. Jesus fed multitudes of people with small fish and small loaves of bread, small means. Jesus fulfilled prophecy. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He fulfilled the law. How how did they miss it? And so the question that we have to walk away as we look at the gospel stories and we see how so many people missed it, we go, Were they looking for loopholes? And we get the impression as we walk away from the scriptures that maybe these guys, they were just looking for loopholes. But but do I do that? And do you do that? Do you face reality? How often in your life has somebody told you something three times, four times, five times before it really sinks in? Perhaps even today, you have some friends that are not really good for you. But you have such a hard time facing reality because you like those people, you like doing things with them, but really in the long run, you know that those friends are not really helping you accomplish the things that God wants you to do. Why are you still dating some of the same people? If you're a lady and you keep dating four or five losers in a row, all right, ditch them. But why? The question, the question would be, why? If you keep going to certain places and you know those places are not helping you health-wise, emotionally, helping you relationally, why do you keep going to those same places? If you've had four or five jobs in the last 10 years and those jobs, during those jobs you've had reviews 
And if during those reviews, you know, here's the things that you do right, here are all the things that you do well, but you continue to have these same three or four little yellow flags or red flags come up, why don't you do something about that? Are you facing reality about your skills and your work ethic and and, and who, who you really are? Well, in our story today, we have some people who just don't want to face reality. But I think about that, and I think about you, and I think about me, and I think how how trendy it is in our culture just to say, well, I I was born that way. We want to make excuses. In other words, if I don't really want to face reality about who I am or where I'm going or what I'm doing, I'll just say, I I was born that way. Or I I grew up in a home that that didn't encourage that. Or I I make excuses because my home environment, you know, wasn't very healthy or wasn't very good or they weren't weren't pro-education or or grandma so-and-so was an alcoholic. And so I began to make excuses. I was just born, born that way. Well, that's true. You were born that way. We were all born that way. All right, let me ask you a little different question. Who taught you how to lie, steal, cheat, and cuss. Who, who, who taught you that? Did, did your mother say one day, you know what, we've worked on your nouns, we've worked on your verbs long enough, we've done a good job with the English, the next three weeks I'm going to teach you how to cuss because you need an expanded, expanded vocabulary. So the next three weeks, honey, I'm going to give you some words that nobody taught you how to cuss, Right? But one day, there was too much pressure or there was a little bit of fear going on in your life. You're looking at me like I've got three eyes. You know this is true. And all of a sudden, it comes out. And where did that come out? Now, sure, somebody in the family cussed a lot. My grandpa Brown said a lot of those words. My grandpa Brown compounded cuss words. I've never heard cuss words since then, nor will I. I tried a few of them out when I was about eight or nine years old at the dinner table. It didn't go well at all. But, but nobody taught you how to cuss. I mean, we, we, we don't say that today in business. You're in business and somebody steals $2,000 from you or from your company. Nobody says, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right. He was born that way. She, she, she was born, born that way, right? In the school systems, the school systems don't accept that. The school systems aren't okay with, well, I was just born, born that way. I cheated on my SAT or I cheated on this chemistry exam. The schools, schools say, no, no that, that, that doesn't cut it. And what about in the home life? Even at home, I was born that way? That doesn't really work at home. When a child begins to lie, and children do lie, right? You didn't teach them to lie. But there's that five-year-old, and the five-year-old's in the room all by himself, and baby sister's one month old in a crib. She can't even walk or turn over. And all of a sudden, a picture frame gets broken, and you walk in the room as a parent, and there's only the five-year-old, and there's only the one-month-old, and you ask the five-year-old, honey, did you break the picture? What happened? They said, I don't know. I don't know what happened. Well, it's okay. Tell me the truth. You, you broke the picture. No, I, I didn't break the picture. I, I don't know how the picture got broken. And then you, you point to the one-month-old, you know, like the one-month-old. Nobody taught your kids to lie. Nobody taught them to lie. I was four years old at a Target store with my dad, and I wanted a Snickers candy bar badly. 
Do not buy me a Snickers candy bar. I've not eaten one in 20 years, and I won't eat it. So don't buy me one. It's a joke. I'll give it away. But at four years of age, I wanted this Snickers bar, and I, I was right at eye level. I was right at eye level as you walk through the, the checkout thing, and Dad said I couldn't have it. I wanted it. He said, you couldn't have it. Guess what I did? Yeah, I stole it. I stole it. If you're a first-time guest, I'm not the holiest of preachers. You should have gone to the Lutheran church this morning and tried it. I've been a much better, you know, priest or something. So I take the Snickers bar, and I'm not a very good thief because I'm in the back of Dad's. I can still see the 88 Delta Oldsmobile. You, you all remember those big Oldsmobile cars? Yeah, you're old too, just like me. And so I unwrap it, and I begin to eat it in the back of the car. I'm the terrible thief. And he can smell it, and he can hear the wrapping, you know. And he looks in that rearview mirror, and he whips that car around, and we go back to Target. Oh, my gosh. And there's like an off-duty, you know, security guy. And he convinces me that's the FBI, and I'm going to be locked away for the next 30 years of my life. And he begins to lecture me on, we'll never see you again. You'll be eating bread and water for the rest of your life. You know, your mother loves you, but today you're going to jail, son. This isn't going to... I've never taken a paper clip since age four. Nobody taught me how to lie, steal, cheat, or cuss. That's the point. You were born that way. I was born that way. And Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, you're all born that way. But I have come so that you can be born again. I have come so you can be born anew. I know your sins. I know your struggles. I know you lie, steal, cuss, and cheat. I get all that. But I have come to give you a new life and a new heart. And so Jesus comes, and this is the last Tuesday of his life, and he's trying to help all these people to see you can be born again. But some were not willing to face reality. And so in Matthew chapter 21, let's look at some of these scriptures in this text today. So Jesus, on this last Tuesday of his life, he enters the temple courts. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and they said, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, in this section of scripture, there's like a whole lot of application to this already. First of all, we see Jesus enters. And I love this because Jesus is always going to enter your world. He is always going to come to you. You cannot face reality. You can resist him. You can back off from him, but Jesus is not going to back off from you. He is always coming, coming, he enters the temple courts. That's where the people were. He enters this. And while he was teaching, and Jesus is going to keep coming to you and teaching you truth, 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 truth. Because when you still live in darkness and you still live in the closet and you still live under the radar, it's not helping you. And so Jesus is always going to help you. He always has your best interest in mind. So he's coming to you with teaching and truth and truth and truth. Now, we got these chief priests, and we got these elders and they, 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 of the people, and they said, by, by what authority? Now, here, here's the deal. Jesus doesn't have any papers. 
Jesus doesn't have any rabbinical school that's behind him. And so how this works is, let's take Griffin who just did offering just a few minutes ago. How this worked is, let's say Griffin's studying to be a rabbi, young rabbi. He's one of our youth pastors, and I'm the senior dude. So the only way he gets to be a rabbi is when a senior rabbi lays hands on him and blesses him and sets him apart. And what they're saying to Jesus is, what rabbi laid hands on you? Who, who in the world in the rabbinical schools gave you the authority to teach in the, in the temple courts? By what authority are you doing these things, they ask. And, and like, like, who gave you this authority? What rabbi gave you this privilege? And the answer is nobody did. Look at verse 24. And Jesus replies, I will also ask you one question. Now, if you've ever noticed this, Jesus asks a lot of questions in the New Testament. In fact, I counted, I could have missed one, but I counted 135 questions. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I came up, I could have missed one or two, but I came up with as many as 135 questions that Jesus asked. I will also ask you one question, and if you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. This is cool. This is great. Verse 25. John's baptism. Here's the question. He's asking all the rabbis and the chief priests, John's baptism. Now, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it from like human origin? And they discussed it among themselves. And they said, well, if we say from heaven, he will ask them, why didn't you believe him? Look at the next verse, verse 26. But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the people. Just leave that verse up there for just a second. Here's what's going on. Jesus has really trapped them because what has taken place is when John the Baptist came on the scene, there had been 400 years of silence. And everybody knew that the Messiah was coming. And everybody knew that there was going to be a forerunner. And everybody knew that somebody was going to be the, the voice of the one calling the wilderness, get ready, get ready, get ready. It's on. It's back on. Who are you, John? Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. I'm not worthy enough to even untie the guy's shoes. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. And John's ministry then was to get people to repent. And repentance means a change of thinking, a change of mindset. Now, we always use the word repent in religious terms, but let me just use this a little more loosely. It means a change of mindset. Like, let's say you invested in stocks, but now you want to invest in bonds. We would never say, well, I'm repenting. I'm repenting of stocks, and now I'm going to do bonds. But that's really what the word means. It's a change of thinking. It's how I think now. And so John comes on the scene, and he's inviting everybody to change the way they think. We want you to think now toward the Messiah. We're going to change your thinking. We're going to pivot you from all the burnt offerings, all the sacrifices, all the guilt offerings, all the free will offerings, on all the way that you can try to work your way in. And we're going to change this now to a Messiah system. A change is coming. And so Jesus said, John's baptism. In other words, when John came baptizing, was God in that? Or was John initiating that? And the, and the guys didn't know what to say. Because even the chief priests and the scribes knew that God was into John. Even they knew that John had a movement going on that was from God. And they just said, well, you know, look at the next verse. Verse 27, they said this. They said, so they answered Jesus, we, we, we don't know. Now that's ironic also. 
You and I read over that, and we don't quite get this. Because they said, I don't know. Now, I don't have a problem saying I don't know to theological questions. Do you? People ask me all the time theological questions, and I'll say, I don't know. They're going, well, you're not very good at this, are you? And I, I don't know. There's a lot of theological questions that we don't know. In the rabbinical school, a, a I don't know was unacceptable. That's what you need to get out of this. Rabbis didn't say, I don't know. Rabbis made it up. They did. That was their job to come up with a theological, gymnastic spin twist to every question that was ever asked. And so, I don't know is incredibly unacceptable. But they're in a quandary. They don't know what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. And so when they said, I don't know, that's a rather shocking response. And so then Jesus goes from there, and he does the story that, Miguel read for us and that she read for us as well. They did, they did both of those stories. And, and Jesus is like, you don't know? You, you, you don't know how to answer this? And then Jesus nails them. He says, by the way, there was a guy who had two sons. And the father comes to the son and said, son, I need you to work in my vineyard today. And the first son said, are you kidding? We didn't say that. He said, I, are you kidding? He said, it's too hot, or whatever he said. I'm not going. And then what did he do? He started thinking about it, right? And he truly repented. He then went. But the other son, he said, will you go? And the son said, I will go. But what? Did he go? Second son didn't go, did he? All right? And, and now, the, now Jesus is weaving in the scribes and the Pharisees. He's got them right where he wants them. And look what he says. He says this. He says, which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. And Jesus said to them, well, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to enter the kingdom of God? This is the reality of my kingdom. My kingdom is different than your system. The prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness. Back to John the Baptist again. And you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you still did not repent. And you still did not believe. Let let me ask you some questions this morning. Are, are, Are you facing reality? Let's talk about reality for just a minute. Have you got a better system in life? than the scriptures? Have you got a better system in life than church? Have you got a better system in life than listening to God's word and God's spirit and God's people? Do you know that God is all for you? Do you know he knows you lie, you steal, you cheat, and maybe some of you even cuss? Most of you? (laughs) Most of you. Does he know that? Of course he knows that. Did did he come just to kind of clean you up a little bit on the outside? No, no, no. He came so you could be born again, so that you could be born anew. How are you doing spiritually? Are you growing spiritually? Are you leaning in spiritually? Communion just a few minutes ago. During communion... Are you honest with God at communion? Are you able to say at communion time, man, 
I can't believe you forgave me. I can't believe you chose me. I can't believe. Or or, or at communion time, is it more like, you know, God, you're pretty lucky to have me. You know, I'm on your side, God. I mean, mean, let's face reality here. He, He knows you inside and out. And he loves you deeply and he loves you dearly. So in your life, are there some behaviors that need to change? Why, why wouldn't you face reality about that and acknowledge I got some behaviors that need to change and then say, I'm not even sure I can change, but I'm going to let you change me. You see, you, you have a heavenly father. You have a son of God. You have a Holy Spirit that's hovering over you and just wants to work in you, work in you, work in you, work in you, work in you. And no matter what you've said or what you've done or how far away from God you are, you get to be born again. So let's face reality. We're all a bunch of people who lie, who steal, who have done some things that we're not proud of. We all have hearts that are still being changed and transformed. We're all still on this journey together. We're all still in this process together, right? And and this is what we do as church. As church, we come together and we grow. Let's talk about authority for just a minute. They asked Jesus, by by what authority? I, I want you to understand that every believer in this room has been imputed God-given authority. You say, well, what, what authority do I have to invite people to church? What authority do I have to teach, you know, in a small group? What authority do I have? Do you, do you, does everybody in this room realize that Jesus Christ went to the cross, shed his blood, so the Holy Spirit could now live inside of each one of us? You see, there was no longer a sacred place. There was no longer a sacred space called the temple. Now the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and lives inside of me. And so there's this incredible God-given authority that each and every one of you have from your heavenly Father. And so that's why Jesus came, and he changed everything. I'm going to give you a couple of quick fill-ins in the bulletin. But if you'll notice, Jesus came to, to change everything. What did he change? Well, here's the first one. He predicted a new movement. I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not even overcome it. So when Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, it's the little Greek word there called ekklesia, and and we think it means a sacred space or a sacred place, but it really, what it means is a gathering. What, What Jesus came to do is to build a movement. Jesus made this statement when there were no church buildings. He made this statement when there were no elders, there were no deacons, there were no preachers. Jesus made this statement, I'm going to build my church. And today, today, over 2 billion people, meaning all over the world, are gathering in the name of Jesus. He predicted a new movement. Look at what else he did. He created a new covenant. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant. And a covenant's a contract. A covenant's an agreement. In other words, I'm going to have a new covenant, a new contract with my people that will forever be different, and it will change everything. Number three, look at the third one. He fulfilled, I'm sorry, this is number two. He fulfilled the old covenant. He fulfilled the old covenant. 
In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. Jesus didn't just, just disband the old covenant. He was the only one who could fulfill it, and he did. And then look what he did here, number four. Here's the last one. In this new covenant, he created a defining ethic. Jesus Christ took all the Ten Commandments. Jesus Christ took the 613 laws. Jesus Christ took the 39 books of the Old Testament, and he boils them down to one verse. He boiled it all down to one verse. You want to face reality of what it means to live a Christian life? This is the Christian life. Jesus boils it all down to one verse. A new command I give you, love one another. That's the defining ethic. That's the litmus test of a Christian. That's the litmus test of a believer. Do we love one another? He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Now, this is reality. Jesus came on that Super Tuesday to teach us just an amazing set of truths. All right, we're going to go back to the Scripture verse we use for communion, and I want to make two more points about this real quickly. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Now, we always use this for communion, right? We, we do this all the time. He took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. This is my body. Same way he took, after supper, he took the cup. All right, just hang with me for a minute. Just leave that verse up there, and I want you to listen to this. I, I like Billy Graham. Y'all like Billy Graham? I, I think Billy is like the super studs of all evangelists of all time. I, I just, I, I think he's just incredible. He's 96 years old. The dude is amazing. But let's say that Billy Graham made an announcement today. And Billy Graham said, at Christmas time, I don't want you to give gifts anymore. I don't want you to celebrate Christmas around Christ I want you to celebrate Christmas around me. I, I, Billy Graham, want Christmas to be about me. So all the time at Christmas, you're going to sing songs to me, Billy Graham. You're going you're to do everything to me. I want Christmas to be about me. What would you say to that? You say, Billy, we like you, but it ain't happening, right? We, we, we like you. I really like the Pope. I think Pope Francis is like one of the best popes in my lifetime. You like the Pope? Those of you that are popers, okay? I, I like the Pope. I, I, I do. But let's say, let's say Pope Francis says today, he makes an announcement today, that when I die, when I, Pope Francis, die, I don't want you to celebrate Good Friday the, the way that you've celebrated it. You've always remembered Jesus' death on Good Friday. I want you to remember my death. I'm the Pope. I want you to celebrate on Good Friday my death and celebrate my life. And you would say, we like you, Pope Francis, but it's not happening, right? And so this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus takes something that had been about Moses, Moses, Moses for thousands of years and Jesus takes the blood that was spread around the doorpost so the death angel would pass over. And Jesus now applies the bread to himself and the blood to him. Jesus changed everything with this passage of Scripture. In this Passover meal that had been celebrated now for thousands of years, where they always remembered Moses gave us the manna. 
and God gave us the food through Moses. And the death angel passed over all the houses where the, the, the blood, the lamb was slain and the blood, the hyssop was all over the door. Thousands of years. And Jesus said, no, no, no. From now on, it's going to be about me. From now on, you take the bread, you now say, this is my body given for you. Every time you take the bread, you remember Jesus. You remember me. Now, this is before he's arrested. This is before the crucifixion. This is before the resurrection. This is like way early on in this whole process. He takes the cup that represented the blood, the blood that was on the door, the blood that the death angel passed over. When the death angel saw the blood on the Jewish door, the Israelite door, he passed over and saved the whole family. They've been celebrating this for thousands of years. And Jesus says, from now on, this, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do you realize how radical those statements they were? I don't think any of those guys at that moment were facing the reality of who was in the room. It was the Messiah. It's what John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I I just want us to face reality. We need to be born again. We have the opportunity to be born again. Then we have the authority of Christ living inside of us. We face this reality that every day we walk in power, we walk in strength, we walk in victory, not because we're so big and bad, but because he's awesome. And he is the son of God who laid down his life for you and for me. And so if you're not a Christian, I mean, you got to face some reality here. There's 2 billion people today that are pretty, pretty convinced that he's the real deal. Oh, sure, there are some spiritual sticking points that we all have. But, but if you're making excuses about that, you, 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 I got some questions I can't figure out, but I got a whole lot more of it all figured out, don't you? And so I just want to encourage you today, if you've never given your life to Christ, to do so. And I want to encourage you this week to go through this week facing spiritual realities every single day. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down. Let's stand up. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer. If you want to give your life to Christ today, come down. If you want special prayer, come down. If you're hurting today because of something, come down. If you've got something to greatly rejoice about, we've got a bunch of new babies have been born recently, come down and we'll pray and pray over you. Jesus, we thank you for your teachings this last week. What an amazing teacher and leader you are. But you're much greater than that. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And we worship you today. Amen.